Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome back to Six Pennies Podcast. This is Mock. Got my boy Albie on the line with me. What's up, man? What's up? I haven't I haven't spoken to you in forever. Yeah, I've been I've missed one. You missed a few, but uh, I'm glad we can connect today. So we just had a big prize giveaway at Six Pennies Podcast. We gave away a hundred dollar Amazon gift card, and that was courtesy of one of our sponsors. So let me give a quick shout out to them, real quick. Today's episode of the Six Pennies Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Farmers Insurance and Derek Shaw. Don't be caught unprepared the next time there's a flood or hurricane or if you're in a car accident. Get a home, life, and auto insurance quote today. Derek is eagerly awaiting your call for a free consultation. And we've mentioned this before, but if you give him a call or check out his website and mention Six Pennies Podcast, he's going to give you a big discount. So you can reach him at Facebook at facebook.com slash Derek Shaw Insurance. And he can also be reached at 214-729-6462. All right, so Roger Lynn was the winner. And, you know, he only had one ticket in there. We had 120-plus raffle tickets in that, and he only had one ticket, and that was the winner. So we're going to go he ahead and... To, he, needs to, uh, he needs to play Mega Millions. He it's does. $350 million. It's It's your day, Roger. Yeah, Mega Millions and the other ones, both 300-plus right now, right? Yep. So, Roger, we're going to go ahead and go through your one question winner right now. And he just asked, quite simply, what are our five favorite athletes of all time? This is pretty oh. interesting. This is something I never thought about. It spans all sports, if you want. And I just figured we can maybe go back and forth. We might have one, maybe two repeating. But you want to go ahead and get started? Yeah, so I, unlike you, I actually think about this topic a lot, just in passing. Yeah. But I will say a lot of these guys or some of these answers are very dependent on like the stage of your life, right? Or the stage of that sports team or whatever, you know, yeah. just it's very dependent on the timing. And so the more I think about it, the more, you know, I had to change some of my answers. So I'll start with Dirk Nowitzki. I think he is That's a good one. so loyal to Dallas and you know how I am when it, when it comes to Dallas and when it comes to loyalty and he is like loyal to a fault even but with that being said uh, he's not only you know a great player when you're thinking about like historically in the NBA but just his character on and off the court I think like you know if I had a son like you and I wanted to I wanted my son to look up at role models who are athletes you know Dirk would be front and center on that list no I definitely agree being from Houston, you know, Houston and Dallas has always had this kind of rivalry. And I remember back in the heyday, maybe mid-2000s, when the rivalry was probably at its highest. People from Houston hated Dallas. People from Dallas hated Houston. And that went with the players, too. But I could never hate on Dirk. There was this one episode of Punked when he was on there with Michael Finley. Do you, you see that? Of course, man. Yeah, and... The premise was Ashton Kutcher had Michael Finley sit up in a restaurant. They're eating dinner together. Just two of them or or maybe one other guy. And this kid saw him and he would just go in and ask him to sign random autographs. And he would bring up a ton of stuff. He brought a bag. He came back multiple times. And it wasn't even Mavs things or or Dirk jerseys or anything. They were like random like baseball bats, baseballs, footballs. Like every other sport, he would have him sign stuff for that. And Dirk did it all until finally Dirk was like, hey, hey, get it. Sorry, I I signed a lot of stuff for you. I got to eat too. And then... The kid like blew up in his face, but Dirk was a great guy. I think it showed in that episode. Yeah, another another tidbit about Dirk. You know, a lot of 
is made about him taking less money and right. um, why is he giving such a big hometown discount to the Mavericks and Mark Cuban and things like that. But honestly, like the way I view Dirk is that he's just the average guy. Like he's just one of us, but he's seven foot tall and an amazing shooter. Yeah. But with that being said, like the guy brings his lunch to work. Like, oh yeah. Not like not even in a. It's not even in like a. In, in like a box like he literally just brings a plate with foil over his food and that's what he brings into the stadium every day he's also very loyal to his families and his his friends so like Holger who is his like shooting coach right. and his confidant for many years Holger got into like you know tax issues or something like that a few years ago and Dirk paid for it all like it was like 20 million dollars oh, wow. German dollars and he like he paid for it all and it was like it's just one of those things where we don't talk about but I just do it and I think he's very similar to you know you you and I and our friends in that way is that they unconditionally love whoever they love yeah he definitely seems really down to earth I, I'd love to meet him that'd be awesome um, yeah true who's your who's your uh, first guy yeah so you went with Dirk uh, that's a great choice especially come from Dallas I'm gonna go with a Houston pick of my own and I'm gonna go with my favorite player growing up, definitely one of my favorite players still of all time, and that's Sam Cassell. Um, nice. He was the one who taught me kind of the love of the game. I, I like You would watch him play. This was back when I first started watching basketball, like in 1994, 1995, during the Rockets championship runs. And you, he was a rookie, you know, really young player, and you could just tell he was just exuberant for the game and he would dance he would do the big balls dance he would uh, hit all these clutch shots and he was just happy playing the game that he loved so that's that's my pick right there he also taught you how to play pick and roll basketball right yeah and then later on in his career he taught me how to draw fouls on on jump shots with a little pump fake and uh, he was great i loved him he has such a deep voice <laughs> yeah yeah, and one of the one guy. of one of the best memes of all time. Uh, this was even the time before memes, but that picture of him with the towel over his head, and they made him look like ET. Yeah. <laughs> but what's what's your second guy? All right, second guy. So this is not in order, obviously. Right. I'm just listing these out, and it's another basketball player, and it's Michael Jordan. Um, nice. I think you. I think you guys. Everybody knows how much I love LeBron James and yeah. how much. Sometimes I even defend LeBron James when it comes to debates between him and Michael Jordan. Yeah. But Michael Jordan was that Sam Cassell guy, if you will. He was the one who taught me how to love the game. I love playing basketball. I love following basketball. I love, you know, everything related to basketball. I think half of the people I follow on Instagram are either basketball players or like House of Hoops or something like that. Yeah. And so Michael Jordan is the reason for that. And not only is he the greatest basketball player of our lifetime off the court he created a brand that i don't know is like a top 10 recognizable brand in the world and so it's it's crazy to think about that this guy who got cut from his varsity team is is this powerful but with that being said it's it's got to be michael jordan yeah he was pretty up there for me he might have made my list I'll, i'll try to think of another one but right off the top of your head, what is your favorite? Let's start with this. What's your favorite Jordan shoe? Jordan shoe would either be the three or eleven, just like everyone else. Yeah, I think I used to be all about the elevens, but I'm slowly but surely preferring threes now. I'm all about the threes now. 
Um, yeah, man, those true blues. Those true blues, they got me good. So what was your favorite Michael Jordan moment then? Yeah, so I was anticipating that question. So I told you a few podcasts ago I had VHS tapes of basketball games, and most of those are Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls games or All-Star games or the 1992 Olympics. Yeah, June 10. And I will say that I watched this game between the U.S. and Venezuela (laughs) <laughs> um, and it's not even an Olympic game. It was like a tune-up for the Olympics. Gotcha. And they were playing in Portland. So all the fans were huge Clyde Drexler fans. And every time he got the ball, they would cheer. Yeah. But Michael Jordan, even though the game was, you know, they were up by like 50, 60 points, he would take that like personally. He's like, why are these people cheering for another guard and not me? Right. And I just remember those moments. And I could just, I literally can replay every single play he had with the ball. <laughs> from that game that's awesome from this uh, from this up and under layup that he missed but it was like so amazing looking <laughs> to like stealing an inbounds ball stealing the ball from out of bounds and then just he did a Steph Curry back then he dribbled to the three point line in a corner and shot a three and he made it and it's like what the <laughs> heck Michael Jordan wasn't known for three point shooting but probably that 1992 game is is my favorite moment just because of the sentimental value of how much I used to watch it with my cousins. Yeah. So I wrote a word next to each of these players and I had MJ on here and uh, the word I had next to him was arrogance. And that's kind of what I loved about him. And so the moment that stood out for me was I believe 1992 finals against that Portland Trailblazer team with Clyde Drexler where he made like the six or seven threes in the first half and he had that shrug in the finals. Yeah, six, yeah, six threes. Yeah, so that, that was my moment right there. That was just prototypical Jordan at his best. So I so one more off story about Michael Jordan. Um, when I was in law school in San Antonio, me and a few friends would, I forgot the name of the bar, it might have been Pluckers, but we would go to this bar every week to do trivia night. Yeah. And um, one of the questions I remember was, what minor league baseball team did Michael Jordan play from this year to that year? And crazily, like surprisingly, I knew it. It was Flagstaff Barons. And nice. so I was like, <laughs> when, I, when I said that answer, I was the only one in the whole place that knew it. And then I was also accused of using my phone to look it up. <laughs> but for some reason... I just knew where he played minor league baseball. I was like so obsessed. You could actually ask my parents the money that we would always use for like those scholastic book fairs. Yeah. I would only buy Michael Jordan biographies. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. I do remember those scholastic book fairs. Yeah. Okay, so MJ, I'm gonna cross him off my list, and I have I'll come up with another one later for him. But my okay. second my second guy is also a basketball guy. And that's Penny Hardaway. Pretty obvious for me. Um, I've always loved him. I have huge basketball collection, basketball card collection of his. I have all his rookie cards. I have his signature. He's just, he's the guy who, I loved him because of his creativity on the court. That guy was a magician. Um, No pun intended. He played for the Magic. But some of his no-look passes, like I'll still go back and watch him probably once a month. Uh, He he does like no-look over-the-shoulder passes that no one ever sees coming, including his teammates. So that's my number two guy. So I know you love Penny, and I know you love T-Mac. Who would you say is better at their peak? Oh, 
better at their peak. It's so tough for me. Man, that's it's like deciding between two sons. But I'm going to have to go with Penny. Penny wow. Even though his peak was so short, he was like a breath of fresh air. And, and people had never seen him before. He was like six, seven point guard. So he redefined that position a little bit. He was a lanky kid, skinny, but he could post. If he could do it all, he's athletic. Yeah. Probably caught one too many alley-oops that messed up his knees a little bit. But, but yeah, he was amazing. First three years in the league. So, honestly... I think this is why I'm currently high on Paul George, and we'll get to this like uh, another time. But in my opinion, Paul George has those skills, but he doesn't utilize them. Do you agree? The penny skills? Yeah. Like that level? Man. I think so. He just he he just wants to score though instead of like facilitating. Yeah, I guess I've never seen that side of him. I mean, I'm sure if he wanted to, he could average like you know 25 7 and 7 something like that um, yeah. I, but I think his vision like his peak vision versus a guy like Penny's vision is like night and day I, I think true. Penny's just on a whole different level alright All what right. about you your second guy you have another basketball guy okay so I have Dirk and MJ I'm done with basketball okay I'm gonna I'm gonna move to football and Ooh. being from Dallas you know there's so many to choose from uh, Troy to Michael Irvin and Emma Smith. A lot of people say Michael Irvin is the was the heart of that team. Right. And then I don't know if you've seen Troy Eggman's latest A Football Life, but everyone kind of pivoted from Michael Irvin to to now. People say that Troy Eggman really was the engine and the heart of that team, which is pretty amazing. But with all that being said, my favorite time, my favorite player of that era, and my favorite football player of all time is actually prime time Deion Sanders you took another one of mine okay nice nice (laughs) and he was he was only on the Cowboys for about four or five years yeah but I loved him before before Dallas I loved him before San Fran I was a huge Atlanta Falcons fan for some reason I loved him and Andre Risen but just the way he carried himself he would make music videos while at Florida State and he would back it up like even though he was this brash, arrogant, cocky kid, no one threw his way. And, like, the truth is right there. Like, the fact that no quarterback would even want to challenge this guy on, on that half of the field is amazing to me. And you don't really see that anymore. Like, I know Daryl Revis was amazing in his prime. And, right. you know, Richard Sherman was amazing in his prime and things like that. But Deion Sanders, if he got the ball he was a threat to score every single time and I don't think anyone other than Tyreek Hill has that going for him. I agree. I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head right there. Imagining right now thinking back on how big his persona was, uh, self-created of course, but how big his persona got and that the fact that he was still able to back that up with his play to match that persona it, it's incredible to think about and he kind of redefined like NFL free agency a little bit. Uh, he didn't. Yeah, he never he wanted to sign the long contracts. He wasn't all about the loyalty. He was all about the money, and he made it pretty clear every single year. Yeah. Uh, one cool story about Deion Sanders was um, Cowboys were playing Oakland in Oakland one year, and this was like at the peak of the Cowboys' reign in the '90s. So, you know, there were 12, 13 win teams every season, but for some reason, we were down against Oakland that game. And he intercepted the ball. Like, they try to throw, like, a 
like a fly pattern on him, which is kind of crazy because he's like the fastest player yeah. in the NFL. But he obviously caught up to the ball. He intercepted it. As soon as he intercepted the ball, he raised the ball in the air with one hand while returning the ball. Yeah, I remember and, that. And, that was awesome. And, yeah, so after the game, the, the guys were like, wait, why, why did you do that? And his answer was, I just wanted to get the crowd hyped. Like, <laughs> that's his answer for everything, you know? Like, crowd hype or other teammates hype. Like, he just wanted, he was a showman, and yeah. that's why I liked him so much. Marketability, man. He was the greatest at it. Okay, I'll go with a guy. I'll go with my football guy then to match. It won't definitely won't match your Dion, but he is a guy that's definitely not on your list. Probably not on many people's list, but my guy was Santonio Holmes. You remember him? You loved that guy. <laughs> yeah. He was <laughs> I I didn't even I wasn't even cheering for Pittsburgh Steelers that year. Their first year there in the Super Bowl in our lifetime, but Santonio Holmes had maybe the if not the defining play, maybe top five defining play in Super Bowl history with the game-winning catch against the Cardinals. It was a tiptoe catch, perfect throw, obviously, from Roethlisberger. But what I loved about it was I watched one of those um, you know, NFL films, backstories, where they have all the players mic'd up, and it was on that Super Bowl. And I remember they were down pretty big, and but San Antonio Holmes, they just showed him constantly talking to Ben Roethlisberger. And, saying, you know, hey, Ben, we got this. Just feed me. Just feed me, man. Let's be great. It's time for me to be great. Uh, we're destined for greatness, things like that. And yeah. it worked. Word I had next to him was heart. Uh, we could obviously choose a ton of players when it comes to heart, and those are often the players that, at least you and me, that we enjoy watching the most, especially on the basketball court. But when it came to heart on a football field, that was one prime example for me. Yes, Antonio was was amazing, and his prime wasn't that long either, right? Yeah. Would you say it's like less than five years? Yeah, I think he was out of the league soon after that Super Bowl. <laughs> Maybe like three years or something after that. Yeah, he played for the Jets. Kind yeah. of got overpaid, but then got hurt and then never really recovered. Yeah. Okay, so my fourth guy on the list, and it's pretty obvious to you, it's Tiger Woods. Yeah, he was on my uh, list there's too. <laughs> countless stories of countless memories I can you know, talk about in terms of Tiger Woods, whether I was watching it with show the U.S. Open in his apartment in, in Dallas or yeah. watching round three at, in LAX with this, like, really small TV and there's, like, hundreds of people behind us watching. Like, like Tiger Woods, I would say, is the most polarizing athlete of our lifetime. And yeah. I think that that just enhances the how much I love him. The fact that there's so many haters out there, and then at the same time, there's so many people who love him like I do, I, yeah. it just makes me, you know, I, I just like it when it's black and white, and I, I love the passion, and so for me, it's Tiger Woods on the golf course. Right. Obviously, off the golf course, I don't agree with the things he did, but on the golf course, at his peak, I don't think anyone was better at his craft than Tiger Woods. Yeah, that run he had was incredible in his prime and his prime lasted a long 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 time and it went through multiple swing changes multiple different coaches and he just just always like he caused people to have to change golf courses that's how good he was you know they had to tire proof him and it was incredible to watch i i loved watching him on sundays i remember growing up even before i started playing golf even before i was really into golf he was that good and i would always 
you know, watch him in his victory red, uh, getting ready to take down another tournament. Thing about me, I'm kind of in between. I loved him, obviously, on the golf course, and then it's just really hard for me personally to root for someone that I don't respect on a personal level, if that makes sense. Uh, so, yeah. so w- when all that went down, it really caused me like I don't I don't hate him. I, I just can't root for him openly anymore. Yeah, and and I fully I understand that. And like as a Tiger lover myself, like I can't really speak to that, you know, because yeah. what he what he did off the course is is pretty. It's just terrible. And so yeah, like I like I said, I just want to reiterate that it's what he he did on the court right. on the golf course on the greens on the fairways that made me made me love tiger woods and you're right like even before i got into golf i was already watching this guy on sundays and it's like my dad would be like why are you, why are you watching golf you don't even <laughs> know how the scoring works you don't even know the people but it's just because tiger was like magnetic you that's know? Like how he, dominant he was yeah yeah, like people say, Tiger moves the needle, and like even just the, just a glimpse or the hope of him playing in this tournament, like completely moves changes like how much tickets are or how much commercial costs for that week, things like that. Yeah. But he's not only moving the needle; like he is the golf needle. Yeah, even to for this sure. Day. Yeah, golf is definitely a lot better when he's around. So, Tiger, if you're listening to this, please come play in Austin this this next year. We have tickets yes. that we need to resell for that. Should have played. Should have played last year. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> okay, I have one. I have one baseball guy on my list that I've had to add. So far, we've had three repeats, so it's more than I expected. But my baseball guy is going way back to the first time he was on the Astros. That, that's Carlos Beltran. He nice. came. He came over, and it was. I didn't know you were so high on him. It was arguably the well, at least for Ash, on a, from Astro standpoint, is the most dominant playoff performance I've ever seen. It was tough watching it, uh, a little bittersweet, just because I knew that he was gone with every single homer and every single diving catch he made in center field during that playoff run. But it was just incredible to watch. He was on fire. You couldn't do anything as a pitcher against him. And then he, he ended up leaving to the Mets, and everyone in Houston was pissed at him. But hey, he got paid, and and now he's back for another run. So I I don't I try not to hold it against him too much. Was that two thousand four? Yay, two thousand five. Uh, yeah, two thousand four. Two thousand four. The year before. Would you, so would you rank 04 Beltron's run higher than ninety four Elijahwan's run? Ooh, no. No, it's different because I, I guess I guess Beltran, you weren't really expecting that level of dominance. But '94 Elajuan, you know, he was dominating the entire season. He was MVP, obviously. But Beltran, we had traded for him mid-season. He came over and and he he did okay to end of the year. You know, we were excited to sign him back. But then once the playoffs started, he, I mean, look at look at those numbers. Those were like out of this world numbers. So. Hard to compare, but still have to give the nod to Lajuan, obviously. Okay. All right, so my final guy, um, I kind of struggled with this. I went from Manny Pacquiao to Anderson Silva to Michael Phelps, but it's going to be a non-American. It is Ooh. Usain Bolt. Ooh, there he is. Yeah, nice. You knew I was going to list him. Yeah. Um, I love this guy since 08 in Beijing when he was already – 
posing, you know, as an Olympian, as a, like, this this kid who, like, no one's ever heard of. And, you know, the, the TV would go to him and say his name. And then he's, like, he's there literally posing right before the 100-meter dash. And, and, and during. <laughs> and during, yeah. And, of course, like, he won in record fashion. So I was super into him. I know that he recently just lost his last competitive race of his career but at least he lost to two americans and so i'm okay with that with that being said though bolt we're gonna miss you i don't think there's ever gonna be a sprinter of his caliber ever again especially for that i was able to witness the greatest of all time yeah especially for that length of time covered three olympics that is that's crazy especially for a sprinter right yeah unheard of and he's clean he's he's never been there's never been any cases of him doping or anything like that not like yeah. the two guys he lost to or, or the one guy he lost to in this last race. Yeah, yeah. so that, that's a good point. So there was a tweet that was sent out, you know, right after that the race and it listed like the top 30 100 meter times of all time. Yeah. And then it would cross out the names of the people who have been associated with or caught with doping. And it's multiple people, you know, not not just like Tyson Gay or Asafa Powell, or not not only those guys, but it's, but it's multiple people. Yeah. And when you cross everyone out that has been linked to that, it's only Bolt that remains in the top thirty of all time. He stands alone. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna go with an Olympics guy for my last guy as well. And you mentioned him briefly, but it's Michael Phelps. Nice. I think. Uh, we both me you and me we we love the olympics obviously we love yeah, we training did. for the usa and michael phelps made me watch swimming like <laughs> it's something that <laughs> i never watched before and and i guess i only watch it during the olympics now but he was so dominant during that time and and not just dominant but he knew it um he was just always in the zone I, you remember that video they had before i think the 100 meter or 200 meter butterfly this last time when that joker of a guy from I think it's South Africa or something was just like dancing in front of him and like trying to stare him down and he just has this like Phelps just has this mean mug on his face just in the zone listening to his music and he's the greatest to ever do it and and like you just mentioned about you saying I'm glad we got to witness Michael Phelps win all those goals for the USA yeah and Michael Phelps like you said was so cocky that he would take three years off <laughs> then you know like smoke as much weed as he can and then within a year of the Olympic Games and the World Championships he'll start training so then he'll win the World Championships and then get gold at the Olympics like this guy is far and away just way more talented than the rest of the field and I think if he were to just on a whim decide to swim again in 2020 people are still going to expect gold from this guy you know it's it's ridiculous (laughs) so comparing Usain and Phelps real quick if it's possible do you think Usain like his body, his just demeanor, everything was he was Usain built for running more, or was Phelps built for swimming? I think the latter. I think latter. The length of Phelps's arms, just the way his skin sits on his body, that like and you, it looks like he's like a stingray, you know? Yeah. Like he was meant just to like glides through the water. Yeah, yeah, definitely be in water. With that being said, like Usain Bolt, I don't think. So the, he's huge. Thing, yeah, he's way taller than everyone else. You're not supposed to have that that long of legs to really be a great sprinter as he is. And the difference between these two guys is that 
Michael Phelps's form and the way he would prepare is like perfection, you know, like kind of like a Michael Jordan jump shot or Ray yeah. Allen jump shot, whatever you you guys deem as the epitome of that craft. Right. Whereas with Usain Bolt, it, he was always considered like really lazy. He was always <laughs> considered his form was always in, considered incorrect. Uh, the way he would like jump from the starting line, he would have just crazy arms and flailing and all that kind of stuff. Like it's yeah. very unlike what you know normal sprinters or what sprinters right. by the book would do. But he still won, and so I I guess that's why that's why I like him so much. Yeah, and Usain his races, uh, his hundred meter races got all the hype. I feel like, but I loved watching him run the two hundred. Actually, that was probably my favorite thing of his to watch, just to see kind of progression of the race more and because I feel like 100 meter if you have a really bad start it's really hard to overcome so the start is so pivotal 200 meter yeah the start is still important but there's still time for you to really catch up and, and find your stride and you, yeah. he would always like even though other people would have better starts with them he would always just lap them and then start pounding his chest before he crossed the finish line and it would make him look like you know he's a man running among boys um, yeah or, or even like relays because yeah i mean recently jamaica's super dominant in relays but before that when he was first coming up they would make him run you know the anchor leg yeah and they would always be behind but then somehow this guy would just catch up in those last 200 meters and yeah the, those races where you can see it you know developing definitely i agree with you are way more exciting yeah Okay, but thanks, Roger. I think you mentioned that you stole this from Twitter, but wherever you got it from, thanks for the question. It's always interesting to talk about. I love how we covered you know, multitude of sports today, but thanks for tuning in to Six Pennies Podcast. Please give us a review on iTunes if you can. Appreciate it.